Shall we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you and we bless you. As we open up your word, we ask that you would indeed speak to us, O oh God, for we are listening. We ask, O oh God, that you would transform us and transfigure us, that you would make us new. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. When I grow up, I'm going to be a selfish pig. When I grow up, I'm going to take my life for college. When I grow up, I'm going to run in a race and I'm not going to finish it. I want to inherit all my dad's money and squander it all on wine and women. When I grow up, I want to commit treason. When I grow up, I want to gamble all my money away. When I grow up, I want to work for FEMA and completely screw up a natural disaster. When I grow up, I want to have kids and completely miss out on raising them. I'm going to drop out of school. I want to be involved in a corporate scandal. When I grow up, I want to be a hobo. I want to receive a dishonorable discharge. When I grow up, I want to take steroids and break the home run record. When I grow up, I'm going to marry the wrong person. When we are born, our parents have the best of intentions for us. And everybody, when they grow up, they, nobody, says these things. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to mess up my life. I want to do something horrible. We all have the best of intentions. Everybody at age three wants to be a fireman, a race car driver, an astronaut, or the president of the world. But somehow, some kind of way, life happens. Somehow, some kind of way, even though we don't wake up early in the morning and try to do these things, sometimes they just happen. And we wonder, how in the world did I get here? I'm sure that is how Rahab felt. Rahab was a prostitute in Canaan. And I don't know how she got to where she was. I don't know how she ended up on the corner selling her body. I know it didn't start out that way, but life happens. And though we have the best of intentions, sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we plan. Maybe she was standing on the side of the road with a sign saying, we'll work for food. But she figured out that she could do something else for a couple of hours and make more money that way than holding a sign for a week. And at the end of the day, her feet didn't hurt. Granted, her heart did in a whole lot of other places. But she lived. How did she get here? How did she end up just like that. I don't know about you, but there's been some situations in my life where I stopped and said, now, how did I get here? What happened? How did I miss the sign, this way to destruction? 
go down this road if you want to completely screw yourself up. I missed those signs and stayed on the road. How did I get here? Perhaps she, like many of us, got on the slippery slope of sin. See, sin is deceiving. It has that, like, iceberg effect. It looks so cute and white and innocent, just a little thing at the top. And, 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 and you have no idea that underneath there's destruction waiting for you. And so you roll up to sin like, hey, just like the Titanic, and boom, your life begins to sink. I mean, it started out innocent. It was just a kiss. Now y'all got kids. It started out as just an innocent dinner among friends, and now it's a full-blown affair. It started out as just a little loan, but now it's straight out embezzlement. Started out as a little lie. Now it's a big scandal. It started out small, but somehow it got bigger and bigger. Started out as a little curiosity, but now it's a big habit. It started out as a little experiment, but now it's a lifestyle. And you wonder, how did I get here? And that's the thing with sin. It, it, it takes you farther than you want to go. It makes you stay longer than you had planned to, and it costs you so much more than you really wanted to pay. And so here she is, wondering, how did I get here? Wishing that maybe some kind of way she could wake up from this nightmare and say, check please, I'm ready to go. But that was the problem. She had racked up so much debt, uh, she couldn't pay the debt for life. And, and so now she's stuck in the kitchen and she is finding it increasingly hard to stand the heat. She wants out. Rahab was just a Canaanite prostitute. But the thing about Rahab is in her line of work, she got a lot of information. It's amazing the things people say in certain situations. And so she knew what was going on, and she heard about this God, the God of the Israelites. He was a powerful God, and this God changed things. She heard how this God changed the water in the Nile River to blood. She heard how this God changed dust into gnats and flies. She heard how this God changed the Red Sea into a dry freeway. She wondered at night if maybe this God could change her. Uh, he probably doesn't want to hear from a Canaanite prostitute. He probably doesn't want to hear from somebody like her. But she heard how he changed a bunch of slaves into a band of soldiers. And so maybe, just maybe, she didn't know how to pray, but maybe she said something like, Dear Mr. God, maybe you can help me. 
I've heard that you change things. I've heard that you do things. And maybe you could rescue me. Maybe while she was praying, she heard a knock at the door. It, it startled her. She opened the door and thinking, boy, he must work fast. But she was disappointed. It was a man and not God. She said, dear Mr. God, I, I got to go to work now, but maybe we can talk later. The Bible said that Jericho, the city she lived in, was next up for destruction. Israel was making its way through the Canaan land because God had promised them this land. Now, they got hemmed up in Egypt, and they was doing some stuff, and, and they had some business they had to take care of, and, and now they were ready to reclaim their land. Thing about it, people weren't just giving it up freely, and so they had to go to war. And Jericho was next on the chopping block. Now, I know some people are saying, how could this great loving God wipe out Jericho? How could he do that? That just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem loving at all. I declare that I have a little different view on it. Because you see, uh, 40 years before, God sent spies to check out Jericho and he was going to send destruction then. However, see, this thing about trusting God, that's real. And the, the spies and Israel decided they didn't want to trust God. As a matter of fact, they went and they looked at the land. They saw everything. They said, you know what? God was right. That land is great. But so are the people. Said they were giants. I mean, we looked in the mirror and we looked like grasshoppers. I want you all to know that the battlefield is not out there. It's in here. The battlefield is not out there. It's in here. And when the spies went before, they got defeated in their mind. They said we look like grasshoppers to ourselves. And so they just assume everybody else thought that they were grasshoppers. And so they staged a coup on God. They said, we ain't going over there. We going back to Egypt. I'd rather die a slave than to be buried in a Jericho grave. So God needed a new generation. He needed a generation of people who would trust him. He needed a generation of people who would obey him. And so God let them walk around the wilderness for 40 years. And all while that was happening, Jericho had a chance to do right if they wanted to. Jericho had a chance to call and be rescued if they wanted to. God is a rescuer so much so. Have you all heard of this man named Jonah? He was this guy in the Bible. He was a prophet and God told him to go to this city called Nineveh. And Nineveh was so wicked. They were so mean to Israel. I mean, they probably, Israel probably prayed, Lord, get them. And Jonah 
got this word from God. God said, go tell Nineveh in 40 days, I'm going to wipe them out. Jonah was like, nope, I'm not going. Because I know you, God. You're so loving and you're so kind. They may ask you for help. They may ask to be delivered. They may mess around and repent. And you're going to save them. Nah, I ain't telling them nothing. Jonah was so excited about this thing, he would rather die than see them live. So he went, he was going to take one for the team. So he went into the boat to go as far away from Nineveh as he could. A storm came, and they realized the only way to make it stop was to throw Jonah overboard. He said, throw me. They threw him. He was all hard like he wanted to die for the cause. But the Bible says that once he hit that water, he started calling out to God. And that same God who hears a Canaanite prostitute, that same God who would change his mind if Nineveh called out to him, that same God found Jonah, sent a big old fish to swallow him. He was unhurt, but don't try this at home. And the fish graciously escorted him to the shores of Nineveh. Spit him out, and Jonah was like, okay, I'm going to do this. But he didn't show no videos. He didn't tell no stories. He didn't try to make it real nice. He was like, uh, can I have your attention, please? In 40 days, y'all going to die. Holla. He didn't make no long speech. He just told them they were going to die and left. But the people repented. They cried out to God, these wicked old people, and God rescued them. So Nineveh only had 40 days. Jericho had 40 years. So day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, heaven listens. Nothing. Until dear Mr. God, that little prostitute cried out, can you help me? If nobody else wants you, I need you. And I believe in the Heavenly Command Center, Operation Rescue, Rahab, Commence. Bible says that Joshua spent, sent out two spies. And like the Bible scholars and people who study the Bible a lot, they're confused by why Joshua would do this. They say, now surely Joshua should know what happened last time they sent spies. Furthermore, he didn't really give them any deep uh, mission. He just said in, in verse, two, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land. 
especially Jericho. That was it. As a matter of fact, when the spies came back, they couldn't tell you how long the walls were, how high the walls were. They didn't have any of that kind of information. Let's see their report. Verse 24, and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. They were going not to look at the military. Where's the battle fought? And so he said, yup, the battle is lost for them in their mind. They were filled with fear. But I believe that this mission was not as much as an intelligence mission as it was a recognizance mission. So they go. Whatever the mission was, it went bad. The Bible says that they got found out real quick. So they standing there trying to be cool. Man, be cool. I'm cool. Stop hitting me. I'm cool. You be cool. The soldiers looking at them. They begin talking and start walking towards them. Man, they coming our way. Be cool. I'm going to be cool as soon as we lose these cats. So they turn right. They turn left. They go down the street and then down the alley, dead end. They ran right into the wall of Jericho. I know at least one of them was mad. You didn't see this big old wall before you turned down this street? The soldiers are coming. God, we need you to help us. They saw this door, so they walked through. It's a stairwell, and they're running up the stairs with the soldiers behind them. They get to the very top of the steps. Dead end. God, we really need some help down here. The soldiers are on their trail right behind them when the door opens and the most beautiful woman they've ever seen appears. She embraces them and says, there you are. I've been waiting for you. Come on in. If nor you stop harassing my clients. You guys are bad for my business. Shoo, shoo, go away. The men came into Rahab's house and they were mighty grateful for you know her helping them out but 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 they started stuttering when um they had to let her know that they they couldn't be i mean it's not that they would want no they don't want to be but ma'am we're not here to be your clients we appreciate you know you helping us out Please, don't flatter yourself. Come upstairs with me. Upstairs? She takes them upstairs to the roof and hides them, the Bible says. She hides them under all of this flax and tells them to lay there very still. She comes back down and she composes herself and tries to get herself together because she knows that the king's men will be back very soon. She knew them like, almost could time it. Three, two, bang, 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 bang. Rahab, open up. Those men who are in there are spies, and we have order of 
the, by order of the king, we've come to take them. And yes, we have a warrant. She opens up the door. They were spies. And you let them come in to me? Why didn't you tell me I was in danger? Oh, do you know what could have happened to me? I need to report you. You all let spy. You all are endangering the cities, the citizens of this fine town. I mean, they seemed like they were in a hurry. I should have known something was up, but I don't know where they're from. They ran out of here. They were trying to get out before the gates closed. If you hurry, you probably can catch them. But go, don't stand there looking stupid. Go save Jericho. So the men ran down the steps and had them open up the gate. They ran towards the river looking for these men. And Rahab stood by her window. Her house was on the wall. She made sure they had gone and that the other men were safe. And she goes and gets them. And she makes this confession of faith. Verse 10. Verse 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She didn't say, I know that God's going to give it to you. She didn't say, I know that something fishy is going on. She said, I already know that God gave you this land. I know that this God is the God of heaven and earth. Rahab had such a faith that in the New Testament, she's in the hall of faith. She's up there with Abraham and Sarah and, and, and all these. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's a chapter of like all of the big ballers of faith. Rahab is up in there. And even James, the apostle James, he talks about faith, but he also likes works. And then he talks about Abraham, and right after Abraham, to prove his point, James chapter 2, verse 25, he said, and remember Rahab? This was a bad sister. And somehow, even though she was just a Canaanite prostitute, she had a faith that they didn't even see in Israel. It says something up with this sister. And so she began to declare her faith in this great God. And then she said, I have a proposition for you. Since I hooked you up, can you hook me up? Can you save us? We need to be rescued. We want to be out of this life. Can you work something out? The spies said, our life for yours. If you don't tell on us, when we come through, we will make sure that you and everybody who's in your house, they got to be in the house, though, they will be saved. They told her to, to, to keep the scarlet cord out of her window so that they would know that this is the house. And it happened just as she said. Now think about it. Jericho. All the schools, hospitals, wonderful buildings. The only building that was saved in Jericho 
was a whorehouse. Y'all didn't hear me. I said the only thing that God saved in Jericho was a whorehouse and the harlot and all her family. I'm talking about this God because she cried out for help. She declared that she needed to be rescued. And the God that we serve, when we call on him, he will answer. No matter where we are, no matter what we are involved in, this God does ultimate makeovers. She started out as a prostitute, but God got a hold of her. And do you know what happened? Yes, she was saved. The walls came tumbling down, but the whorehouse stood, and they got her. Everything in Jericho was destroyed, everything but what was in her house. Whatever was in her house, that was spared. People, things, everything. And it is amazing. The Bible says in chapter 6 that she remained with Israel to this day, to the day that they wrote this. And I get excited about this story because if God would do that for a Canaanite prostitute, I mean, I'm not talking about like a backslidden good Israel girl who came up on hard times. I'm talking about a cuss you out heathen pagan at the whatever Canaanite prostitute that called out to God. And no matter where she was, this God answered. And I said that, my God, if he would do that for her, imagine what he would do for us. It's no secret what God can do. What he done for Ray Ray, he could do for you. But the thing that excites me about this story is not so much what he saved her from. And it was a lot. She had a lot going on. She did. And, it, and praise God for what he saved her from. But what I get excited about is what God saved her for. See, because a lot of times we come to Christ and we think our lives is over. Honey, your stuff just began. Because this woman, I mean, her business was gone. I mean, everything was gone. Her clients, her Rolodex, all that gone. She had to start all over. So what came of this prostitute? The Bible says that she married a man named Salmon. And Salmon, he was of royal stock. First, First Chronicles 2.10 tells us that his daddy, Nashon, was a prince of the tribe of Judah. So if Nashon was a prince, that means Salmon was a prince. That means the prostitute is now a princess. I'm talking about an ultimate makeover. Disney ain't got nothing on this. This 
Disney couldn't have wrote a better story. This is something that could only be authored by God. And we get excited, uh, drug addiction, sin, habits, all kind of crazy lifestyles. Thank God for what he has saved us from. But has anybody stopped to think about what God saved you for? The Bible says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has in store for his babies. He said, I know the thoughts that I think to you, think towards you. They're not of evil, but to give you a future and a hope. This God says that your steps are ordered. This God said, I'm the one that keeps you from falling. This God says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. Yeah, I'm glad about what he saved us from, but I'll cut a step when I think about what he has saved us for. God has something magnificent in store for his people. The Bible says that if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. But not only was she just any old princess, but the Bible says that she was like the great, 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 great grandmama of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. When they tell about who all his folk were, they say, Rahab is all up in there. Ah, uh, Ray, Ray and them, all them. They all be at Jesus' family reunion. Hey. And the thing about it is that I know a lot of us are saying, yeah, I might not be able to be Jesus' great, 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 great grandma. But the Bible says that as many as receive him, and it says it in John 1, verses 12 and 13, to them gave the, he gave them power to become the sons and daughters of God. And so God allows us to be in his family. We get to come to the family reunion, y'all. That's good news. When we allow our hands, when we allow our lives to be in God's hands, we realize that our God gives ordinary people extraordinary power to change. Our God gives ordinary people extraordinary power to change. It's an ultimate makeover. I heard one preacher says, you know, it, it depends on whose hands it's in, because, uh, you know, I mean, my life in my hands, hot mess. Now I'm telling the truth. But when my life got in the hands of God, I 
I became his messenger. Ultimate makeover. I heard somebody say that, that a basketball in, in, in my hands would be about $20. But a basketball in LeBron's hands, that's about $90 million. It depends whose hands it's in. I heard him say that, that, that a baseball would be about $10 in, in my hand, but, but in A-Rod's hands, it'd be about $275 million. It depends whose hands you put your stuff in. A tennis racket? That got me the only C in high school. But a tennis racket in Serena's hands? $33 million, baby. A stick in my hands? I use it to battle away the dogs when I'm walking on my morning walk. But a stick in Moses' hand can part the red, see it. It depends whose hands you put it in. Oh, uh, 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 a slingshot and some stones. Uh, we talking Toys R Us in my hands. But in David's hands, it, it slays giants and frees people. It depends on whose hands it's in. I'm talking about two fish and five loaves of bread. My hand, it'll be a slamming fish sandwich. But when you put it in the hands of Jesus... Thousands upon thousands are able to eat. It depends on whose hands it's in. Some nails in my hand. Probably could put up a couple family photos and hope I don't put a hole in the wall. But nails in the hands of Jesus bought salvation for you and me. Nails. In the hands of Jesus, washed away our past and secured for us a new future. Nails in the hands of Jesus gives us new life. It depends on whose hands it's in. And the question today is, will you put your life in his hands? If he can make a princess out of a prostitute, imagine what he could do with you. Imagine what God can do for you. At this time, we're about to watch a video. It simply says, imagine me.
Can you imagine your life in the hand of this great God who could take all the mess of your past and make it gone? We serve an awesome God. And as we celebrate the story of the resurrection, that is a story where even though Christ started in the grave, he didn't stay there. He had bounce back power, resurrection power to die and not stay dead, to be down but not stay down. And the Bible says that he offers that same power to us. That's why Christians get so excited around Easter. It is the time where we celebrate resurrection. It's the time where we celebrate the power to bounce back. God is offering ultimate makeover. 
and there's somebody in here, you want God to make all the mess of your past gone. The Bible says if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. In your bulletins, there is a sheet where it talks about this born identity. And on that sheet, you have the opportunity to let us know that today you want to become a follower of Christ. Perhaps you want Bible studies to learn more about this great God. You want to learn more about a God who will send a whole mission to go rescue one Canaanite prostitute. This great God will empty heaven for you if you just call. We want you to fill these sheets out, but there may be somebody in here who wants to make a public. They want everybody to know they're not ashamed to say it. They want the world to know, I need help. I want God to rescue me. I want to be one of his children. If that is you, wherever you are, I just want you to raise your hand. We want to praise God with you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I see your hand. Praise the Lord. I see your hands. Praise God. Praise God. I see your hands going up throughout this place. Are there others? There are others. You want to dedicate your life to God. You want to see a change in your life. Now, for those of you who raised your hand, if you don't mind, I want to ask you to come up and I want to pray with you. If you do mind, you get to stay in your seat. And I just ask that you make sure you see me after the service. But there's somebody in here who's bold enough to come down. We're just going to pray and I am going to ask that God would unleash power in your life. You raise your hand. I want you to get out of your seat and join us down front. Ask a Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Is there someone else? wants to make that change in your life. You washed away all my sins. Yes. And he made me. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. Will you let him do it in your life? Somebody else who wants to come right now. He changed 
the change that is going to come on your life. Change.